Amen. Hey, high five three people real quick. Welcome them to church this morning. Well, good morning. I woke up happy today. That's nice. Isn't it good? Thanks for sharing. Six days away when the best football team takes the field. Hey, uh, good time to uh, grab your connection card from your bulletin. As you walked in this morning, you should have grabbed a bulletin from one of our ushers. Go ahead, and the connection card's at the bottom. Rip that off. If you don't see your neighbor doing them, slap it. All right, slap him or her. You have permission this morning. Don't do it too hard, though. Just tear it a little bit. One of the things I always tell our staff here at Radiant Life is, um, as, as the lead pastor, I'm going to challenge them. And we had a retreat. We just talked a little bit. And I had said two things. And I said, guys, you want to punch me in the face for what I'm about to do, just to hold you guys accountable and as we dig further. So don't punch your neighbor in the face. Just slap them, okay? So everyone grab that connection. I just heard a slap. You really took that literally. Hey, um, grab your connection card. Fill it out. Again, that helps us with attendance. Again, we, we belong in the West Michigan District of the Wesleyan Church. Uh, where we have 60-some-odd churches. And we re- again, we report stats every month on our attendance. So you guys help us out tremendously. Also, the backside is prayer requests and praises. You can make it confidential so only staff sees it, or you can make it public where the prayer team uh, is able to pray for you guys. You can always grab the prayer sheets in the lobby. Matt, I see you. Thanks again for your testimony last week, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I have a story to tell you. Remind me after church, though, all right? It's a great one. Uh, but welcome to Radiant Life. We've got a couple announcements this morning before we jump into the book of Jonah. And the first is this. Two services are coming in October. Everyone, let's gasp. <gasps> I don't like that. Hey, we're pretty packed in here. And visitors, like, they don't like to feel cramped in a spot. You regulars don't like to feel cramped in a spot. Two services, 9 and 10.30 coming October 2nd. Put that on the radar. Here's what I get happy about. We have more opportunity for people we don't even know yet that's going to come here and more opportunity for you to serve. Right? More opportunity. You can come to a service and serve at a service. Because what that means is we're going to need a whole lot more volunteers now. But guess what? The good news is we have them. They're all right here. All right, we just got to go. Because a lot of you are like, I don't want to miss the service. You don't have to anymore, right? We have it for you. All right, so be in prayer, two services. And oh, I don't get to see so-and-so anymore. Well, this service will get over by 10 o'clock. So if you hang out for 20 minutes, you're going to see these people come in. So you're still together. We're one big churchy, lovey family still, all right? That sound good? Does that sound good? You're lying to me. I know some of you are like, no, it doesn't. Hey, God can do great things still. More opportunity for us. More opportunity for us to grow. Two services, October 2nd. We'll talk more about that later. But that's the big one this morning. Second thing is baptism. We need to get excited about this, folks. This is like crickets. Baptism, September 25th. We already got a family signed up. We got another one signed up. That's right. Thank you, Jeff. We clap. There we go. We're going to celebrate new life, people taking their next step. This is the last time that we're a happy family in one big setting, too. It's great. So we can celebrate. Some of you, you know, on the backside of your connection card, you need to circle B. Right? You did it last week. You did it the previous week. And you're like, we'll just keep waiting. Circle B right now. Circle B. Right? If you think baptism is your next step, 
And a couple other things we want to announce real quick. Patricia launched, we're launching a new midweek ministry called Glow for our preschooler and kindergartners. Get the little theme of radiant life and glow. Yeah? Yeah, you're starting to connect some dots here. Glow starting September 21st. So don't sign your kids up for Wednesday night stuff. Like, for soccer, I know soccer practice and stuff. Actually, my daughter got stuck on a team that has Wednesday soccer practice. She's actually going to miss it. That's just the way my family's going to run. Sorry, coach. She's not going to come. All right? But hey, um, that's not for everyone. I realize that. I'm not guilt tripping everyone. All right? But Glow, preschoolers, kindergarten, September 21st. And then we have Illuminate for our first through fifth graders starting the same night. So we got some stuff for preschool and kids. And we'll be announcing later in the week what our adults will look like. So it's becoming a big family ministry night on Wednesday night. We'll have stuff for adults to the kids. And you can come and it'll be great. Okay? And lastly, plugged in is our ministry to our middle school and high schoolers. They will actually start Sunday night, September 18th. Okay, So that whole week of September um, 18th will be our launch week of all of our ministries back up, rocking and rolling. All right. Let's set it up. Let's jump into Jonah chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, jump into Jonah chapter 3. If you have your phone, your tablet, turn to Jonah chapter 3. This morning I changed Bibles. I couldn't find Jonah. Uh, that's why they got these little ribbons in Bibles. You know, they're for a reason. So throw it in there. If you don't have one, the words will be on the screen for you. Uh, if you're new, welcome. If you're a regular, welcome. We're on week three of our series, Jonah, and I'm going to catch you all up to where we've been and where we're going this morning, so we're all on the same page. We looked at Jonah chapter 1 two weeks ago, and we found out that Jonah is a prophet, referring to that Jonah is the voice of God. And Jonah was told by God to arise, get up, and go to the great city of Nineveh. Jonah decided to rise, turn his back against God, and go down and trying to flee as far away from God as possible. We talked about that's uh, the pathway of sin in our lives, is that when we turn our back to God, the only direction is down for us. And some of us, we've been there before. Some of us, that's where we're at this morning. And here's a map of where Jonah is. We've seen this map every week. Jonah's here. This is present-day Israel. Jonah's here on the X. God tells him to go to Nineveh, 650 miles a walk. He decides to go all the way off the map, try to get to Tarshish, which is in Spain. He's getting out of here. Chapter 2, we learn Jonah's in the belly of a great fish. We talked about some of us may not believe that, but when Jesus, my Savior, decides to mention Jonah being in the belly of the fish, by golly, I'm going to believe what Jesus says. And Jonah's in there realizing I'm at the bottom of the, my life. I can't do anything else in life. And he begins to walk those stairs back up. And the first thing Jonah does is he turns his face back to God. And for some of us, we need to realize that that's our first step when we've walked away from God, is turning our face back to Him and realizing that God is a God who breathes new life into situations that appear dead and hopeless in our lives. And now, Jonah, finally, is going to do something. Let me show you where your map where we think Jonah might be in chapter 3. We think Jonah's somewhere here. The fish has vomited Jonah back on dry land. A bunch of historical evidence. Somewhere here, this is where Jonah, and God's going to speak to him one more time. Jonah, 
chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Remember the first time Jonah decided, I'm not going to obey God's word? I decided to turn my back against God. God's a God of second chances. Jonah, here's your second chance. Here's what I want you to do. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah, what does that word say, church? Ooh, this is the first time we get Jonah's finally obeyed God. Everything in his life so far has been a full of disobedience. He finally obeys. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Now, let me give you a little background on, on Nineveh because we're talking about he's finally at the city where he didn't want to go. Everything in his willpower, he did not want to go to Nineveh. So what does Nineveh mean? Why? Well, Nineveh is a huge city. It's about 60 miles circumference. Now, to us, we're like, that's not really big. Like, New York City is way bigger than that. But in the ancient world, 750 years before the time of Jesus, that is a huge city. It's also the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians will eventually come into the nation of Israel and exile some of them. In about 40 more years, that's what they're going to do to the Israelites. So it's a huge city. What's massive about this city is this is a satellite image of present-day Mosul, Iraq. It's in Iraq. Outlined here in yellow is the city boundaries. That is still, you go to Iraq today, you can go and see Nineveh. What is so massive about Nineveh is that the walls surrounding this city was 100 feet tall. On top of those walls were 1,500 towers, watchtowers, that stood 200 feet tall. So we're talking about a massive wall already, and then the watchtowers twice the big as the wall. All over this. This was a terrifying city to see. They were cruel, evil, awful people. One of their tactics is if they got attacked and they captured you as one of their enemies, they would take you out into the desert, bury you up to your neck for you to survive. The sun would end up scorching whatever animals got to your head. That's how they treated their enemies. It's a horrible city. But the one thing that he did say, is God said, it's a great city, meaning big, there's awesome. So I try to say, what's big and awesome? What is so great? I think the greatness of this stadium. So get this. It's the greatness of this stadium. Go. No, we only have like five fans here. The greatness of the stadium, but it's the cruelty and the disgustingness of this. I just lost about 20 friends right there. I didn't even have 20 friends to begin with, so I'm all right with that. And Jonah, God says, <laughs> and God says, I'm sending you to the cruelty here. And Jonah says, I don't want to go, but fine, God, I'm, I disobeyed. I'm going to obey this time. And here's what Jonah finally gets to that city. And here's what Jonah says in Jonah chapter four, or 3, verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5, 
the Ninevites, what church? All of a sudden, our prophet who's been rebelling decides to obey an entire city believes that. It says a fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. I find Jonah's message fascinating. Here it is again. In, 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 in the original text, it's Hebrew in the translation from Hebrew to Latin to English. This is his message in English. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's what he's saying as he's walking around the city. Eight English words. In Hebrew, he's only speaking five words. Five words he's going around speaking in Hebrew and the whole city, we're going to learn there's 120,000 people in this city. The entire city believes God on five words. Some of you are saying, Ryan, I wish you would only preach five words and we're done. I was hoping no one would say amen. Thank you. But what's astounding to me is I would almost argue, and this is my theory, is that Jonah did this half-hearted. Right? Just walk around saying, hey, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Walks a little more. Hey, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. You say, why, Ryan? Is that really fair? Two reasons why I think that. Number one, he never says who. There's no mention of God in his thing. None. He doesn't say who is going to overthrow the city of Nineveh. And the second reason I think that this is a half-hearted attempt on Jonah there's just no why. Why is the city? We learned that in chapter 1, God says, go to Nineveh because their evil has become up before me. There's no mention of evil or anything here. He's just going around 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. I wonder if this is just a half-hearted attempt on Jonah's part. But what's astounding is 120,000 people believe from these words of Jonah. And then things are really going to get weird. And if things are weird, when you read God's Word, there is something to look at there. The oddity, the weirdness of something, a lot of times it accentuates the point. So let's look at the rest of this chapter together. Verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, I'm going to give an illustration. Kinsey, will you come up here? Because we've got to un unpack this a little bit and understand it a little more. Because this is just weird. So what we're told is that... Don't go there is that he's going to be the king. I'm glad your wife didn't laugh at that. That's great. 
So what we're told, let's back up and let's I'll try to really understand that because there is something so significantly ha significant happening here. We're told that first and foremost, the word gets to the king of Nineveh. It's not Jonah. It says Jonah's warning has reached the king. So some way, somehow, the word gets to the king of Nineveh. Number one, he rises from his throne. That is a signal during the ancient times as a king that you are not in control anymore. The king of Nineveh is recognizing something. The second thing it says is he took off his robe. And your robe was your authority. The king is de-robing, de he's taking his authority off. Then the second thing it says is he puts on sackcloth. Here's your sackcloth. And when, in the ancient times, in the biblical times, when someone was to put on sackcloth, this represented repentance. And then it said the king sat down in the dust or ashes, also a reference of repentance. Can you please take your seat in the ashes? And oftentimes what they did is they would take ashes and cover themselves. You look good with gray hair, though. And <laughs> and the king does this. That's weird. We don't do that. But what's interesting is the king doesn't stop here. He makes all the animals do this as well. That's weird. So if we were to bring a dog up here and cover it with sackcloth and ashes, the entire city of Nineveh is on a great fast. Why is the king doing this? Because the king has heard from God. The king has heard from God. And for us, perhaps this looks weird, but for many, we need to take whatever drastic measures necessary to obediently respond to that. And that's what the king does. Animals and all. Animals you aren't eating, you aren't drinking. People you aren't eating or drinking. Everyone, including animals, put on the sackcloth. Put on the dust and ashes. We are repenting because we've heard from God. What's I, I, The irony of this entire story, here's Jonah, the prophet, they're the pagans. The prophet rebels and the pagans repent. The first time the word of God gets to Jonah, he gets up and turns his back against God. The first time pagans hear the word of God, they repent and take whatever, or whatever drastic measures necessary to respond to God's word. My question for you this morning, is who do you look more like? Do you look like the king of Nineveh who has, looks weird? It looks so odd what they're doing. But are you like the king of Nineveh that when you hear God's nudging in your life, that you will take whatever drastic measures necessary to obediently respond to him? Or do you look like Jonah? 
who at times I'll just turn my back to God. I don't want to do it. And I'll turn my back to God and begin to walk down the stairs. Because for some of us this morning, there are many of us who look like this. We are doing everything we can to respond to God and follow him. But for others, we look like Jonah. Just walking further and further away because God's called us to do things we don't want to do. For some of us, we need to take drastic measures in our finances. You know the spending is not good. Your debt is just continuing to accumulate more and more, and you know in your heart God's just tugging you, don't stop, stop, but you can't, and you're just going down, and you need to take drastic measures necessary to obediently respond. For others, it's with our kids or grandkids, our nieces and nephews. They are absolutely running away from God, and you're just sitting there going, I don't know what to do, but i got to do something. But the issue is, we're not doing anything. And you've got to take drastic measures necessary to obediently respond to God. For others of us, it's with our job. God has you right where you're at for a reason. And you know that annoying coworker. The one that has no friends, that is a loner, that is just irritating. But God's nudging you. Talk to him. Talk to him. And you're like Jonah right now. No, God, no, no one likes this person. They bother me. No, 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 no. But God's nudging you. Hey, 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 take whatever drastic measures necessary to obediently respond. Who do you look more like? The king of Nineveh or Jonah? And what's amazing is when Jonah finally obeys, obedience is followed by great moves of God. 120,000 people are saved that day. Where do we need to be more responsive to God? For some of us, you know, we're just like, I, I don't know how God even talks. Like, does God talk? That thing is just weird. I don't know how he moves. I don't know what he does. First and foremost, you've got to get into God's word. You know why it's called God's word? Because it's his, thank you, it's his word. And you go and open this up and begin reading Matthew chapter 1 as a family maybe, and you're like, let's just go through chapter 1. Let's find out what's weird, what's odd, and maybe God will just speak to us through conversation. And you begin to look at Matthew chapter 1 and realize it's really boring. It's just genealogy of Jesus. Bad example, however, they're all men. Why is there only mention of four women? Remember, point out the weird things. There's significance. Maybe you do research and you're like, wow, I didn't realize it. Wow, i got to change some things in my life now. And God uses that. God speaks to us through prayer. A lot of times we're 24-7, go, 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 we're on the move, and we never have time to slow down in our lives and say, God, I just need to hear from you right now. I need that little push in my heart, my little tug. That's the Holy Spirit pushing you and tugging you to go and do something. For others, it's just silence. You just need to stop everything. Turn off the radio, turn off the TV, and have silence.
Say, God, speak to me. Speak to me through this silence. Through this walking, going out in the woods, just being out there. And for some of us, we need friends in our lives. Because God uses people in our lives to correct us and adjust us to where we need to go. And we need to take that loving, graceful truth and not turn back and bite with wrath and anger against that person because they spoke truth to us and it hurt us deeply. We need to say, okay, God, is this something that I need to take drastic measures to obediently respond because you spoke through them? We think the king of Nineveh, they're coming up here. I don't know how we're getting down. I'm just going to stand here, man. Oh, you get away from me! I told you I'd buy you B dubs. I had to make a deal. <laughs> you sat back. You know he's going to go like this and it's on you. I got water. Jesus actually speaks into this 800 years later. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. He says, this is what you hear, right? Don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anytime Jesus says that, he's going to elevate something. He's going to take it to the next level. It's what rabbis do. It's called hyperbole. It's going to take it to the extreme. He says that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What Jesus is basically saying is take whatever drastic measures necessary to respond to what God has to say. Now, do we took those verses literally? literally? No. We would have a bunch of men who are cyclops and one-handed walking around in the church today. But do you get what Jesus is saying? Adultery is horrible, and if there's things in your life that lead down that path, make sure you get rid of it. Take whatever drastic measures necessary to obediently respond to God. Pray soon for me through For me, When we go out to eat as a family, we, we pray before the meal, even at home, but we do it in uh, the restaurants as well. And just for our family, we hold hands around the table. And uh, we do that if we go out in the public, we still do that. And one thing we do is uh, we pray not only for the, the meal, but we pray for um, the person who made it. We ask God uh, to bless the hands that prepared this. I have no idea who's in the back in the cooking, but I just asked God that you would bless them as well. And one time, three years ago, we were at Buffalo Wild Wings in uh, Grand Rapids area. 
and I got my usual Asian zing and Parmesan garlic. Oh. Now hang in with me. I just lost about half of you with lunch envy right now. Hold on. And we ordered like normal. Everything we do, and we're waiting. And our waitress is just really, she's, she was phenomenal, really nice, always trying to start conversation with us, checking on, hey, your food's going to arrive shortly. Hang in there, you know. And it was great. She comes and delivers our meal to us at the restaurant. And she comes in with the tray and hands all of my kids their meal, hands my wife and me, and I feel something inside of me that says, Ryan, you're going to pray for this. Pray for your waitress. Ask her if there's anything on her heart. And I kind of pause and I'm like, this is just weird, God. Like, how often do you ask your waiter or waitress to pray for them? Like, they're going to think I'm weird. That was what I was thinking. And she hands everything, and as most waiter and waitresses do, their last words are, is there anything else I can get you? And I say, I think everything looks great. And she stands there, and I kid you not, for 10 seconds just standing while my heart's going, I know I have to ask her if there's anything we can pray for her about. Ten seconds of this awkwardness of her looking at us. She says, well, I'll be back. And walks away. That happened three years ago. And I still carry that with me. I blew it. I know in that moment. I was supposed to obediently respond to God and ask this girl if there's anything I can pray. I had no idea what's going on in that woman's life. I blew it because I was afraid I was to look weird. For me, God's still calling me here to continue to ask our waiters and waitresses in Sturgis, is there anything I can do to pray for you? You don't have to hang out while we pray for the meal. You can go, but I, you just say something, we'll pray for it. I haven't done it yet. But I know I have to. I blew it. But God's a God of second chances. And I know I have to take whatever drastic measures necessary to obediently respond to God. Why? Why does it matter? Because hope is always worth the risk. Hope is always worth the risk. When the disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Because when God's kingdom comes crashing on earth, hope is brought to hopeless situations. Those who are walking in darkness walk into light. Those who are in bondage and addiction, their chains are broken. Those who are hurt are healed. And we've got that message. Maybe perhaps you're being tugged and the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart saying, you've got to take some drastic measures because I'm going to bring hope to this person. Through you. May we respond obediently so God's kingdom can come crashing down and set people free. Let me pray for you. 
Father, sometimes it is so difficult to obediently respond. God, I just pray now as the Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts this morning. What is something I need to be challenged with, Tug, that I have to take those drastic measures? I could look like a fool in the workplace. I can look as weird as possible, but I know this. I'm obediently responding to you because when obedience comes, great moves of God happen. So, Father, I even pray for myself. I need courage to pray for that waiter or waitress the next time I go out. And I pray for those who know exactly the drastic measures they need to take, that you would give them the strength and courage also. May we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, because followers of Jesus obediently respond. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, ushers, you can come forward. You can grab your connection card out, drop it off in the plate when it goes by. First time guests, you can take your connection card, go get some drinks on us. Remember, all purchases at Radiant Cafe are going to help Wall School and the teachers and students there. So purchase, purchase for the next, well, today, <laughs> the end of the month. All right, you can drop your offering in the plate. Let me pray for that. Father, you are good. And it's through our faithful giving. You've blessed us financially with jobs, and this is just an act of worship to give a portion back to you. May we see your kingdom grow. Maybe for some of us, this is the drastic measure we haven't been doing in our walk with you. Father, bless both the gift and the giver as we respond obediently to you so that we can see great moves of God in our lives and in our community. We ask this in Jesus' name.